This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Last week, we premiered a new show called Quiet, Please. And tonight, we're going to feature another show from that series. A quick refresher here. Quiet, Please was a radio fantasy and horror program created by Willis Cooper and Ernest Chappell. And he was the show's announcer and lead actor. Earning relatively little little notice during its initial run, Quiet, Please has since been praised as one of the finest efforts of the golden age of American drama radio. Now, here's what Professor Richard J. Hand of the University of Glamorgan had to say about Quiet, Please. Cooper and Chapel created works of astonishing originality, and he further described the program as an extraordinary body of work, which established Cooper as one of the finest auteurs of horror radio. Wow, pretty heady stuff. Well, let's see if it all lives up to the billing in the episode One for the Book. Quiet, Please. The American Broadcasting Company presents Quiet, Please, which is written and directed by Willis Cooper and which features Ernest Chappell. Quiet, please, for today is called One for the Book. Once upon a time when there were more lieutenants than lieutenant colonels in the Air Force, and when you could tell a cadet by his blue suit like a mailman's, a thing happened. And if you think the boys from the bright blue yonder got snafu'd sometime in this last war, brother, I'm here to tell you you ain't seen nothing yet. Because this was the largest, the most comprehensive, the doggondest. Well, I have to tell you. And the thing about it is, this snafu isn't over yet. It won't be over for nine years. Listen, I'll tell you. Never hear of Muroc Dry Lake... Well, you go out San Fernando Road and you turn off at Fremont Pass onto 6 instead of going up over the ridge route. You go up through Mid Canyon, see, and on through Palmdale and Lancaster. Then you take a road off to the right by the SP station. After about 40 miles of Joshua Trees, you get to Muroc, and a big, tough MP tells you, turn around and go back where you came from. Because that's where they got the jets, where guys are ringing them out so fast they sometimes get where they're going before they've started. And they tore up the welcome mat a long time ago. But back in the early part of 1937, well, it was kind of different. Muroc, which incidentally is not an Indian name, it's just the name Coram spelled backwards like on the radio. 
Corum Brothers was ranchers that owned a joint. And it's just what you think it is, the bottom of an old dried-up lake. It's flat as a billiard table. Flatter than the one in the officer's club of Maxwell. And back in those days, you could take your car out in the middle and open her up to 80 and sit back and watch. Look, Mama, no hands. Hmm, which was quite a lot of fun, though. Some newspaper guy blew a tire and did 108 snap rolls with it. With the customary results. Well, it ain't like that today. I mean, the lake's still there, but it isn't a lonesome place anymore. The lobo wolves and the coyotes and the rattlesnakes and the roadrunners have scrammed. They got an installation there that... Well, never mind. You're not going to see it, but it's a biggie. And the lake itself is about the biggest landing field in the world. You can set down anywhere, practically. Well, the Air Corps decided back in 1937 to have them a big air maneuvers there at New York. So in came about everything they had that could fly. Martin B-10Bs from Langley, P-26s from Selvage and Maxwell Randolph. And a bunch of skinny blue things they called PB-2As that came from... I don't have any idea. And over at March Field at Riverside, they had a flock of A-17s, attack jobs, two-seaters up north of me. They had holes in their flaps, I remember. First ones to have holes in their flaps. And there was a lot of other miscellaneous stuff. It was quite colorful. P-26s painted OD. The bombers black and yellow. They all had yellow wings. And the PB-2As were blue and the A-17s shiny Doral. Everybody had the red and white stripes on the rudder and the big old white star and the blue circle on the wings. Well, all 300 of them. <laughs> all we had, practically, in 1937. And anti-aircraft. Complete with a 1937 version of radar, a cluster of big horns on a trailer with a guy wearing earphones in the middle of them. You couldn't spit half a mile away if the horns was pointed at you on account of you bust the guy's eardrum. And there was a bunch of movie guys taking pictures. They had plenty of expense money. They didn't shoot crap so good. So, one way and another, it was quite a thing. And, brother, it was hot. Yeah, it still is. It'd get down to 40 or 50 in the early morning, and by noon it was up to 115 with the sun bouncing off that white lake bottom and mirages everywhere you looked. Well, I was a crew chief in a P-26 squadron from Selbridge, see? Oh, excuse me, I didn't introduce myself. Westlake's my name. Max Westlake, Captain USAF. I was a staff sergeant in 1937. Up there at Muroc, I got acquainted with a guy... Of all things, a sergeant in an anti-aircraft outfit named Bill Carrant. And I remember how this snafu started. Bill and I were sitting in a bar in Lancaster one Saturday, drinking beer, listening to Pancho Barnes, God rest her soul, telling about buzzing a church steeple in Long Beach and a Jenny. And a couple of elements of B-10Bs went over. Bill Carrant, he said he'd buy another beer. I'll buy another beer, Max. Um, I'm going out and sit on the porch and read. Read? What do you want to read for when you can drink beer? Free beer. Well, I found a couple of magazines. Let's see. Now, go on, drink your beer. Super science stories. Miraculous stories. You like that kind of junk? Well, what if I do? A lot of hooey. <laughs> no, they're not. Guys flying rockets and taking off for the moon and malarkey like that. Yeah? Listen, in 20 years, the stuff in these books will be ancient history. What do you mean? In 20 years, people will be flying rockets. In 20 years, they'll be writing the same kind of guck, and people will be flying old-fashioned airplanes, bud, and we'll be shooting them down. You wait and see. Yeah. In another 20 years, airplanes... 
Rocket planes will be going so fast you won't be able to see them, much less shoot them down. How fast? Oh, a couple thousand miles an hour. A guy couldn't fly that fast. Why couldn't he? Well, he'd, he'd outrun himself. <laughs> he'd come in for a landing, and 15 minutes later, you'd hear him. You can fly as fast as sound. You're nuts. Well, a bullet flies faster than sound. But there ain't anybody riding it. Well, they get a big enough bullet, somebody will ride her. Bring me another beer. They get me one, I'll fly it. You'd feel pretty funny starting out someplace on Saturday and getting there on Friday afternoon. Yeah, well, listen, it'll happen. In the magazines. These magazines told a lot of things that have come true, Bill. For instance? Well, I couldn't give you an instance right now, but they have. <laughs> I'll take beer. Yeah, you watch and see. One of these days I'll come bouncing in someplace in one of these rocket jobs and you'll be right... I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll kiss your foot at high noon right in front of everybody. Now, you want a beer? You're going to sit there reading about buzzing the man on the moon in a skyrocket. Or what? I did both. Then we bummed a ride back to the lake after a while, and I went to bed. Bill Carrant was pretty disgusted when he got there and found out he had to stand guard because the sergeant that was supposed to be had broke out with the measles. And he put on his overcoat and stopped by my tent for a cigarette before he went off where it was cold. We talked, and he left. And I went to sleep. Well, I woke up in the middle of the night, see. I couldn't get back to sleep. So I got up and put on my pants and shoes and a flying jacket. And I went out to the anti-aircraft battery. I said, hey, Carrant. Hey, Bill Carrant. Who's that? Me. Westlake, Max Westlake. What are you doing up? I couldn't sleep. Well, I wish I could. I'm about froze. How much longer you got? Oh, half an hour. Wouldn't have a bottle, would you? Oh, I'm sorry. <sighs> Gee. Pretty night, ain't it? I'll give it to you. Millions of stars. Yeah. Ever fly at night, Bill? And I ain't going to. I ain't going to fly at all. That's well up there with the stars. I'll stay here. I wonder what's up there. I got no curiosity at all. Yeah. I'm going to find out some one day. In your skyrocket? Oh, probably. What was that? Search me. Sounds like it came from up there. Probably one of your skyrockets. Well, I don't think there's anybody up tonight. I don't see anything. I wonder what it... Hey. What? Look up there. Where? Right there by the Big Dipper. What is it? I don't see anything. Say, you know what that is? That's a parachute. Why, say, that's what it is. Only that's the biggest parachute. There goes the searchlight. They saw it over at A battery. Gosh, that is a big one. Yeah. Wonder who it is. That's a funny looking thing. Looks like a box or something. It looks like part of an airplane. There goes the crash truck. I didn't see any airplane, Bill. 
Maybe it was one of your skyrockets. Shut up. Give me your field glasses. He's gonna hit awful hard. Give me the glasses. Oh! Oh, he sure did. Yeah, that's part of an airplane, Bill. They're pulling a guy out of it. In some kind of funny suit. What? Soup and fish? It's a... That's kind of like a diver's suit. Kind of like a... a space flyer's suit. I know where he came from. Well, where? He bailed out of Goofy Stories magazine. I handed back the glasses to Bill Carrot and I walked over to the infirmary. That's where they'd take you wherever he was, I figured. And in a minute, the crash wagon came back and they carried the fella in. I sat there a minute to talk to Daniel Webster, the medic that had the duty. They were fussing around with the fella inside the ward, the doc and everybody. I sat there talking. There was a piece of metal lying on the stretcher that one of the medics had picked up where the thing crashed. I looked at it. U.S. Air Force, it was stenciled on it. U.S. Air Force and a number and XF-131. What's XF-131 mean, I said. Why, I said to myself, U.S. Air Force. This is the Army Air Corps. What's the U.S. Air Force? Something new? And what's XF-131? I know what a P-26 is and a PB-2A and a B-10B, but what's the... An XF-131. And then the doctor called me. I stood up, surprised. Sergeant Westlake, come in here. Sir? I said come in here. Yes, sir. In here. Yes, sir. Ever see that man before? Why, no, sir. Sure? Well, he looks kind of familiar, but... Is he, uh, uh... He's got a slight concussion, and I've given him a shot. Who is he, sir? Is he from here? You don't know him? I know, sir, but I... He sure looks familiar, but... What's your first name, Sergeant? Sir? Your first name. Oh, uh, Max. Yeah. What's the matter, sir? Sergeant, that man's name is Max Westlake, too. Huh? Only he's a major in the United States Air Force. What do you make of that, Sergeant? Eh? Huh? What would you have made of it? I looked at the guy more carefully. And then I saw why he looked familiar. I'd seen that puss in the mirror every morning for 22 years. There was the scar on the eyebrow where I drove the car into the lamppost. Only it was on the wrong eyebrow. Then I remembered I wasn't looking into a mirror. I said, Doc, I don't get it. He said, don't you? And I said, well, sir. So I went out. And just as I was going out of the tent, in walks Bill Carrant. And I must have looked funny because Bill grabbed me by the arm. What's the matter with you, Max? Huh? Well, you look as if you see... Uh, wait a minute, Bill. <laughs> I think I've got something figured out. What are you doing for the love of... I'm taking off my shoes, Sergeant Carrant. What for? <laughs> well, it's not exactly high noon, Sergeant. But you're going to kiss my foot just the same. Huh? That's right. 
Why? Because, but... Sergeant Carrot, that guy in there, that that guy that flew in here in a skyrocket, that major in there, is me. <laughs> And so the snafu began. I got called over to the colonel's tent right after breakfast. He was sitting there with a the doctor. They looked up when I get my heels pretty close together and placed my hand, fingers extended and joined against my right eyebrow. Sit down, Sergeant. Yes, sir. Uh, the doctor tells me this fellow who bailed out last night has the same name you have. Yes, sir. Looks a lot like you too, Sergeant. You know him, Sergeant? Yes, sir. Said last night you didn't. Well, I got it all straightened out in my mind now, sir. Well? He's me, sir. Sergeant, have you lost your buttons? No, sir, I don't think so, sir. Say that again, Sergeant. Sir, I said, no, I don't think so. No, what you said before. Oh. He's me, sir. Cross your knees, Sergeant. Sir? Cross your knees. Yes, sir. Ow! Reflexes are all right. Sergeant, do you mind explaining what you're trying to give us? I've got a tactical program on this morning, and I... Go ahead, Sergeant. Well, sir, it's perfectly simple. Aviation is progressing, sir. So what? Well, sir, it's perfectly simple. This Major Wesley, who is me, (laughs) flew in in something like a rocket plane or something quite a long time in the future. You understand, sir? Go ahead, sir. And he flew so fast, he... Well, he just got here before he started, sir. Sergeant. Sir? Nothing. Go on. Well, sir, that... That's all there is. Sometime I'll be a major, like he is. I mean, like I am not... not... What do I mean? I mean, if he's me, I'm a major. But I'm still a sergeant, I, I mean, I'll be a major, and I'll take off, and when I get here... I mean, when I got here, I, I'm still a sergeant. Sergeant, please. My head hurts. I'm sorry, sir, but, but that's what happened, sir. Somebody around here is crazy. Oh, no, sir, not me. Uh, let's try that again, shall we? What, sir? Your theory. I just want to be sure I'm not hearing things, Doctor. Well, if you're hearing them, so am I. Go on, son. Well, sir, some day in the future, I'm going to be a major. You're not if... Well, never mind. Yes, sir. Someday I'm going to be a major, see, and I'm going to fly a rocket plane or something. How do you know all this, Sergeant? You got a crystal ball? No, sir. It's obvious, ain't it, sir? Not to me. You, Doctor? Well, you're going to be a major, sir. Yes, sir. Well, I must be. I'm over there in the tent, ain't I, Doctor? Uh And I'm a major, ain't I? You see? Sir? Uh And someday when I'm a major, sir, I'm going to get into this rocket plane, see, and... I'm going to take off and I'm going to go so fast that... Gosh, I sure must have been rolling last night. Sergeant, you must want to get out of the Army awful bad. Sir, me? No, sir, I don't want to get out of the Army. What makes the Colonel think that? Well, if I ever heard of anybody asking for a transfer to the loony bin, this is it. Sir, I assure the colonel I am not nuts. Well, then, why the dickens are you telling me all this? Sir, the colonel asked me. Okay. Go on. 
You were taking off in a rocket ship. Or something like that, sir. And boom, like I said, I go so fast that I just run out of time and I landed last night. You believe that, Sergeant? Yes, sir. Uh, where did you... Uh, I mean, how did you fall on this, this theory? Well, sir... I read science fiction magazines and... Ah, you do. And I just deduced it. Oh. Sir, rocket travel is perfectly possible. Hmm. It's an interesting theory. Doctor, are you nuts too? I'm really not sure, Colonel. Well, what are you talking about then? I was just looking at this identification card I took out of the uh, Major Westlake's pocket. What about it? It's uh, dated November 24th, 1951. Fifteen years from now. Snafu and snafu and snafu. The colonel, he didn't have any guardhouse or anything. He confined me to my tent. That is, he confined Sergeant Max Westlake to my tent. Major Max Westlake was still out like a light. He, he couldn't talk. And me, I didn't have anybody to talk to, but I thought. And the harder I thought, the surer I was I was right. And the second day I was in there, the colonel came to my tent and he looked about 18 years older. I stood up. Rest, Sergeant. Now listen, I had the doctor take that, uh, that major's fingerprints. And I flew them to Washington to be looked up in the big file. Yes, sir. The dope came back this morning. Yes, sir. I'll read you what they say. Uh, the subject fingerprints are those of Staff Sergeant Max Westlake, and so forth and so forth. There is no record of a Major Max Westlake in the Army Air Corps. By direction, so forth and so forth. Oh, yes, sir, that's the way I figured it. Westlake, if you're running a Sandy on me... Not running a Sandy, sir. Come with me. Where are we going, sir? Right into the infirmary tent. Yes, sir. Now then, you sit here behind this canvas wall and you listen to that fellow talk. And don't say a word. Just nod your head if he's right or shake it if he's wrong. Hear me? Yes, sir. All right. Listen. Major, where did you come from? Here at... You're up, sir. What outfit are you with? I'm chief test pilot here. I see. And what happened, do you know? Yes, sir. I was flying an XF-131. That's the newest experimental rocket job. Speed of about max seven. Uh, what, what are you talking seven, about? Sir, seven times the speed of sound. I see. Suddenly, the, the needle flew way over beyond the mark. I got scared, pushed the automatic cockpit release, and bailed out. And, um, how fast do you think you were going then? Well, I should say about 12 times the speed of sound. I see. And, uh, what was the date of your takeoff, Major? Why, December 21st, 1957. Now, look here. You see? You, you, you see, Colonel? You see? Snafu. 
wow. Tarfu, Fubar. The army never saw one like this before. They sent us to the general. Yeah, sit down, gentlemen. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now, Westlake? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Your brothers? No, sir. No, sir. Now, just a minute. Uh, uh, just a minute, I mean. Uh, Westlake? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Stop. Yes, sir. <coughs> yes, sir. Sergeant Westlake. Yes, sir. Who is this Major Westlake? He's me, sir. Sergeant, I... we can't prove otherwise, General. That will do, Colonel. Yes, sir. Now, Major Westlake, who is this sergeant? Sir, I don't know. Well, isn't he your brother? No, sir. Well, who is he then? Answer me. Sir, I think he's me. Doctor, are these men crazy? Not as far as I can tell, sir. Well, what ails them then? Sir, I just work here. Well, now, Major, how come I don't know you? Well, that I couldn't say, sir. I don't know the general either. Young man, I have been in the Army 28 years. Yes, sir. At 29. I was at Bliss with Lord George Langren when he had the 8th Cavalry. Yes, sir. And I know thousands of officers in the Army. Yes, sir. But I don't know you. No, sir. Young man, do you know the penalty for impersonating an officer? Sir, I'm not impersonating an officer. Here's his identification card, General. <laughs> Is that your picture, Major? Yes, sir. And doesn't look like you. Well, sir, these pictures never look like the people. Mm, that's right. Mine looks like a... Well, this seems to be an order, all right. It is, sir. Uh, I know that. Are those your fingerprints? Yes, sir. They're the sergeants, Washington says, General. Now, now how could that be? Well, sir, they have to be me. But he's me. I, I mean, I'm... The, I'm us, I mean, sir. Uh, Colonel... Has this man ever demonstrated... Uh, uh, has he... Uh, has he... Uh, I mean, has he ever had attacks before? No, sir. He's always been rational, sir. He's one of my best men. He's rational now, General. That is, I think he is. Kind of, I mean. Uh, Sergeant, do you know that a board may be convened and that they're liable to throw you right out of the army? Sir, I'm not worried about that. Oh, you're not, huh? Why not? Because... They can't, sir. I, I have to stay in. Kindly tell me why. Because, well, don't you see, sir, I'm going to be a major and I'm going to fly a rocket plane. The XF-131. What makes you think so? Well, I'm here, sir, after all. Well, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to solve this problem once and for all in a military manner. Major Westlake, you are subject to orders, aren't you? Yes, sir, of course. And I want this to be a lesson to you other officers, too. If you gentlemen are expected to use your intelligence and initiative and not come bothering me with all sorts of details that could just as well be handled in your own ballywicks. You understand me? Yes, sir. Silence. That is a very simple way to solve this problem, as I said. Major Westlake, you are ordered to return to your base. Sir, I'm at my base. I'm stationed at Muroc Dry Lake. This is Muroc Dry Lake, sir. Well, how did you get here? I flew, sir. Uh, oh, but how did you... I mean, how did you get here now? Sir, I just flew so fast I got here before I started. I didn't ask you, Sergeant. That's right, sir. I flew so fast I got here before I started. Doctor, do you have an aspirin on you? See who that is? Yes, sir. 
I found something I thought might be important. Who are you? Sergeant William Terrence, sir. I'm Sergeant of the Guard today. Uh, what have you got there, Sergeant? I don't know what it is, sir, but I found it out there where we, where, where the Major landed. Uh, Major Westlake? Yes, sir. Well, let's see it. Let's see it, Sergeant. I never saw anything like it before, sir, and I thought I'd better bring it to the General. May I see that, please? Well, it's my Mac meter, sir. Your what? Mac meter, sir, an instrument that measures speed. Sergeant Westlake, please. Excuse me, sir. That's what it is, General. It measures speed in terms of the speed of sound. Mac 1 is sound speed. Mac 2 is twice the speed of sound. Uh, let's see it. Hmm. Very curious. Yes, very, very curious. All of a sudden, it got jammed, General. You see the needle is jammed way over here on the pin? It indicated probably 12 times the speed of sound, and that was awful fast, so I bailed out. Uh, see if I can't unjam the needle. Uh, there's a ratchet underneath, sir. Uh, oh, I see. Uh, hmm. It's like a speedometer, isn't it? It turns hard. Ah, oh, there. Hey, where did Major Westlake go? What? He was right here. I saw I him. I seen him, sir. I was looking right at him. When you turned the, the thing meter back, he just turned all transparent, and then he disappeared. What? Sir, I think the general just unscrewed him right back where he came from. That was it. The general turned the Mac meter backward, and that's all. But I'd like to never get out of all that snafu. Well, I'm a captain now, and it's only nine more years, and I'll be a major. And I'll fly an XF-131 here at Muroc, and my Mac meter will go haywire, and... My gosh, have I... Have I got to go through all that again? The title of today's Quiet Please story is One for the Book. It was written and directed by Willis Cooper, and the man who spoke to you was Ernest Chappell. And Dan Sutter played Sergeant Parent. Melville Ruick was a colonel. The doctor was played by Charles Eggleston. General, Lloyd Buckley. As for Major Westlake, well, we leave that for a guess. As usual, music for Quiet Please is played by Albert Berman. Now, for a word about next week, here is our writer-director, Willis Cooper. Thank you for listening to Quiet, please. My story for next week is called My Son John. And so, until next week at the same time, I'm quietly yours, Ernest Chappell. Stay tuned for Lucille Ball in My Favorite Husband, next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for My Favorite Husband. We present Lucille Ball in My Favorite Husband, a new series based on the delightful stories of Isabel Scott Rorick's gay, sophisticated Mr. and Mrs. Cougat, two people who live together and like it, starring Miss Ball with Richard Denning. As we look in on the Cougats this morning, something new has been added. There's a moving van in front of the house next door. But, of course, the new neighbors don't interest Liz Cougat in the least. Liz? Yes, George? You've been standing at that window for an hour. Oh, I have not. Yes, you have. 
ought to be ashamed. Now, come away from there. They might see you. No, they won't, George. They're too far away. Well, then how can you see anything? I'm using your binoculars. <laughs> oh, Liz. Put those things down. But I can see so much with them. <gasps> oh, my goodness. That must be the lady who's going to live next door. Oh, what a spook. She's got big eyes on the side of her head and six legs What? Oh, my mistake I was looking at a fly on the windowsill <laughs> Oh, they're taking in a barrel now And it's full of their very best china How can you tell that? Because the moving men dropped it off the truck And bounced it along the sidewalk yeah, I guess you're right Oh, there's the lady who's moving in She's standing by the curb with one foot on her chest I beg your pardon? She has one foot on her chest. It's a Chinese chest. What nationality is the rest of her? Oh, don't be silly. Now leave me alone. Oh, Liz, please, don't be so nosy. There goes their living room couch. It's not so hot. It's just plain spying. You don't catch me doing anything like that. Oh, there goes a lot of fishing equipment. Hand me those glasses. <laughs> I knew that would get you. Here. Yeah, there goes a shotgun and a big leather chair, probably for the den. You know, George, now that I see you doing it, it does look awful. I'm not going to spy on them anymore. Mm, must have money, too. There goes a beautiful mink coat. Hand me those glasses. <laughs> hmm, that's the kind of mink that lays eggs at Easter. <laughs> Now, Liz, we've got to stop peeking at them from behind curtains. You're right, George. I'll go over and peek at them in person. No. <laughs> oh, honey, I know you like to be neighborly, but sometimes you carry it too far. I do not. When the Crawfords lived there, they didn't complain that I was running over all the time, did they? No, they took the easy way out. They moved. Oh, George. <laughs> oh, look, there's Corey. I wonder what he's doing here so early. Maybe he's just getting home. He's probably been up all night dancing, as usual. Oh, hello, Corey. Hi, George. Hello, Corey. What are you doing up so early? I came over to talk to George. What time is it? Eight o'clock. No. Yes, eight o'clock in the morning. Oh, is there an eight o'clock in the morning, too? <laughs> He's in much worse shape than I thought. What's in your mind, Corey? Well, I came over to congratulate you, George. You're about to become a mother. A mother? What am I going to do, become a father? <laughs> This is a great break for you, George. Starting tomorrow, you're going to be responsible for 130 children. Over my dead body. Well, it's this way, Liz. My mother's club is setting up a trust fund for an orphan's home they run. And I've suggested George for the trustee. Means a big account for your bank, George. Oh, that's swell of you, Corey. You just have to be passed on by Mr. Brennan, the head of the home, but that'll be no problem. Well, you better run along to the bank. Kiss me goodbye, Mother. <laughs> by the time you get home, I'll know all about the people next door. Liz, I want you to promise me you won't go over there today. Now, we'll get to know them soon enough. Well, all right, I promise. I never can have any fun around here. Goodbye, Liz. Goodbye, Corey. Goodbye, Shorty. What do you mean, Shorty? Oh, I was looking at you through the wrong end of the binoculars. <laughs> Bye, George. Cougat, aren't you afraid the new neighbors may get suspicious and realize we're looking at them? Oh, why should they? We're just doing our cleaning. 
Yeah, but we've been washing these same two windows all afternoon. <laughs> Katie, you're right. We'll stop this minute. We're being completely unladylike and unneighborly. And besides, the moving van just left. <laughs> oh, my, they carried in a lot of junk, didn't they? I've been watching them move furniture for nigh under 30 years, and I've never seen such choice, ripe junk. <laughs> With women who know junk best, it's Mrs. Cougat, two to one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd love to find out what she's like, Katie. Oh, so would I. Of course, I promised George I wouldn't. But you know, she might be lonely. Do you think so? Yes. She'll get to brooding and wonder why her neighbors haven't come to see her. She'll feel she isn't welcome and become moody and depressed and despondent. Finally, she'll shut all the windows and turn on the gas. Goodbye, Katie. Well, where are you going? Next door. If I hurry, I may be able to save her life. <laughs> This is Cougat. I think it was real sweet of you to drop over like this. Well, I I thought it was a neighborly thing to do. I do, too. Usually, when you move into a new neighborhood, the people don't come over at all. They just stand behind their curtains and spy. <laughs> no. Yeah. Why, the old snoops. <laughs> Mrs. Cougat, after we get settled, maybe you'd be good enough to find me some help. You certainly have two wonderful maids. Two? Yes, and are they thorough? They spent the whole day cleaning the same two windows. <laughs> well, we have just one maid, Katie. I'm letting the other one go, the red-haired one with the nice figure. <laughs> oh? Well, then maybe I could get her to work for me. Uh, no. No, you wouldn't like her. She's too inquisitive. Got her big nose and everything. That's why I'm firing her. I can't stand that in a person. Neither can I. Oh, dear, the movers left that Chinese chest in the living room. I wanted it in the main hall. I wondered where you were going to use that. What? I mean, it's wonderful. Don't ever lose that. <laughs> well, I'll run along. If there's anything I can do for you, now you let me know. Well, there is one little favor, if it wouldn't be imposing. Of course not. What is it? Could you take care of my little Stevie for this afternoon? Why, of course, I adore children. I'll take him to a movie. I don't think you'd be very popular. He's only four months old. Four months? Oh, well, then I guess a movie is out of the question. <laughs> he couldn't chew the popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> well, it won't be for long. I just have to get one carload of things from my old house. I'll leave the key in case you need anything. Oh, you know how to feed a baby, don't you? Now, don't you worry. If you're late getting home, he can eat with us. I'll just tell Katie to throw on another pork chop. <laughs> All right, Stevie, now you sit right here until Liz decides what to do with you. <laughs> well, sit up. Why do you keep falling over all the time? <coughs> all right, I'll hold you. There. <coughs> I'm pretty good with babies. How would you like to have me for a mother, huh? <coughs> well, 
you don't have to get nasty about it. Oh, Mrs. Cougar. What is it, Katie? Uh, Mr. Cougar just pulled into the driveway. He's home early. Oh, darn it. I thought I'd have the baby back by the time he came home. Here, take him in the other room. All right. Come on, baby. Hi, Liz. I'm home early. No. Yeah. That uh, fellow from Corey's Orphanage couldn't make it this afternoon. He was moving or something. That's good. Let's go for a walk, dear. No, I'd, I'd rather just relax. Well, what happened around here today, Liz? What's new? Oh, nothing. What's new with you? (laughs) Nothing. Liz, what's that crying? What crying? That crying. What's new with you? Liz, I distinctly heard a baby crying. <laughs> no, George. I, I did that. Oh, now, wait a minute. What do you take me for? For better or for worse, George. <laughs> I don't mean that. Liz, there's a baby in that den. I'm going to get to the bottom of this. It is a baby. Give that man a box of diapers. <laughs> Whose baby is this? You, uh, you wouldn't believe it's mine, would you? No. Princess Elizabeth's? No! <laughs> well, I guess that is pretty wild. What kind of a dope do you think I am anyway? Now, now I want to know where this child came from, and I want the truth. All right, George. I'm waiting. I'm thinking. <laughs> oh, what's the use? Might as well tell you. I went over to call on the new neighbors. Liz, you didn't. All right, I didn't. Now I don't know where I got the baby. <laughs> So you got yourself involved already. Well, if you hadn't come home so soon, you never would have known. Besides, it's only for a little while. His mother will pick him up any minute now. I'll get it. Here, talk to the baby for a minute. I'll be right back. Uh, talk to the baby, huh? Uh, hello. <laughs> uh, what, what would you like to talk about? Oh, now, 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 stop crying. If you stop crying, I'll make a funny face for you. Uh, let's see. Uh, how's this one? Ah! <laughs> 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 oh, now, don't cry again. Uh, let's see. Uh, how would you like to listen to my watch? Uh, let, let go of it. Well, well, hold it carefully. No, don't swing it. You might hit it on the table. Put up your juice. That was the baby's mother on the phone, George. Oh, well, I'd be glad to get rid of this kid. Is she coming right over? Uh, no, she isn't. Her husband is out of town, and her car broke down, and she'll have to stay at their other house until tomorrow. Oh, you mean we have to keep this little monster all night? Oh, George, it's wonderful of you to suggest that. The battle between Liz and George and the baby will continue in just a moment in Act Two of My Favorite Husband. (laughs) 
And now, let's go back to Liz and George Cougat and see how they're getting along with the baby. Where are you, Liz? In the kitchen. Oh, here you are. I got the baby bottles and things from next door. Good. I wrote the baby's formula down on this memo pad. Let's see now. We'll need milk, baking powder, cheese, and lighter fluid. What? Oh, that's my shopping list. Well, find that formula. The baby's upstairs screaming his head off. Oh, here it is. 28 and 2. 28 and 2 what? I can't remember whether it's 28 ounces of milk and 2 of water or 28 of water and 2 of milk. But you do remember it was ounces. Yeah. Or was it quartz? <laughs> oh, fine. Now what'll we do? Well, let's compromise. We'll make it 15 of each. Yeah, but, but it might not be good for him. Well, she talks so fast. She did say something about cereal. Yeah, that sounds better. I've heard of babies eating cereal. Now, which kind do you think he'll like best? Cornflakes or post toasties? <laughs> oh, here's a good one. Grape nuts. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's a little rough, isn't it? Uh, maybe it should be cooked. Oh, don't be silly. You can't cook grape nuts. Here's some cream of wheat. Oh, wait a minute. Don't bother. Here's a bottle of stuff that's just made for babies. We'll give them a drink of this. What is it? Baby oil. Baby oil? Oh, 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 oh they don't drink baby oil. They don't? Of course not. Oh, 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 that's to fry the cereal in. <laughs> well, how'd you expect me to know? Hey, there's some canned baby food in that stuff I brought over. Oh, good. We can't go wrong with that. It's made for babies. Here, open a can of carrots. Oh, it's spoiled. I'll have to throw it out. Oh, what's the matter with it? Oh, it's all mushy and squashy. <laughs> Another can. Well, here's a can of beets. That ought to be good. How do you like that? This one's spoiled, too, just like the other one. Gee, it's a lucky thing you noticed. The kid sure would have been sick. Well, we'll just stick to the formula. Milk never hurt anyone. Okay. Oh, but we'll have to have a nipple for this bottle. Did you bring any? I didn't see any. Well, how are we going to... Get me the scissors, George, and hand me that pair of rubber gloves. I'll cut the fingers off. <laughs> Miss Cougat, that baby is crying something off. I know it, Katie. We're having a terrible time trying to fix his food for him. Why didn't you call me? I know what to do. Oh, Katie, you're a lifesaver. But I'll fix it and give him this feeding. This feeding? You mean there'll be more? She means breakfast, George. Oh. Oh, no, I don't. But a baby this age is too young to be up at night. Oh, 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 oh. you'll find out. He'll probably eat every four hours all night long. Oh, Katie, you're kidding. I'll bet he sleeps all night. Liz, isn't that baby asleep yet? Almost midnight. I can't understand it. I fed him and walked the floor with him, rocked him, and he's still awake. Well, why don't you try changing? I did that, too. <laughs> My thumb has more holes in it than a pincushion. Here, you take him for a while, George. Oh, no, no, no. This is your party. But, George, I'm so tired. Hey. Hey, wait a minute. He's asleep. No. Yes, sound asleep. I'll just put him down. There. Oh, darn it. I know how to put him to sleep. Rock-a-bye baby. Oh, George, would you? Sure. Wait here, I'll go get a nice big rock. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, I was only kidding. Here, I'll take him for a little while. 
Now, he won't hurt you, Stevie. George, tell him one of your after-dinner stories. They put anyone to sleep. That's right. Insult me. Well, say something to him. He won't understand what you say. He just likes to watch your Adam's apple bob up and down. All right. Stevie, did you ever hear the story about the traveling salesman? Well, he knocked on the farmhouse door. George! Well, you said he wouldn't understand. Well, now I'm not so sure. <laughs> I'll just walk in for a while, George, and I'll take over again. <laughs> oh, come on, Liz. It's your turn. I've been packing this soggy little bundle for two hours. <laughs> I didn't sleep a wink. Give him... Oh, George, I'm stupid. You're just finding that out? <laughs> no wonder the poor little fellow couldn't sleep. I forgot to burp him. Burp him? Certainly. Come here, little fellow. Now, over my shoulder. There we go. A couple pats on the back ought to do it. When he does it, it's cute. When I do it, it's vulgar. Oh, look. His little eyes are closing. Well, never mind his little eyes. How about his big mouth? Oh, he's asleep already. Oh, well, we finally did it, George. What time is it? Almost four o'clock. Well, since he took so long getting to sleep, maybe he won't even remember his four o'clock feeding. <laughs> oh, that's not a baby. It's a time bomb. Well, it's not his fault. He's hungry. Well, if he's so hungry, let him get up and make himself a sandwich. He knows where the icebox is. All right, I'm coming. Good morning, Mr. Atterbury. Who got? Your late boy. I'm sorry, Mr. Atterbury. Have a party last night, boy? No, no, sir. No, Liz and I, Liz and I were up all night with a baby. Yeah, those Liz... A baby? George, congratulations, boy. Oh, but Mr. Atterbury... Why didn't you tell me? Is it a boy or a girl, boy? It's a boy, Boy. Uh, <laughs> oh, but it isn't ours. We're just keeping it for the people next door. Oh. Hey, George, that Mr. Brennan was here this morning about the orphan's home trusteeship. I don't think you're going to get it. Because I was late? No, no, no. He wants a family man for the job. He thinks he'll understand the problems better. However, I persuaded him to go out and see for himself what a lovely home life you have. I didn't tell him you have no children. He's on his way to your house now. Well, I, I'd better go out and meet him. Wait a minute. I have an idea, boy. Boy, what an idea. <laughs> Is that baby still at your house? Uh, Mr. Atterbury, I know what you're thinking. 
and I just couldn't do it. Nonsense. You only come to your house once. You tell them the baby's yours, that's the end of it. No. Yes. I'll bust you to eight, Vice President. <laughs> you wouldn't. And I'll take your notary public stamp away. I'll do it. All right. Run along, boy. In the meantime, I'll call, call Liz and put her wise. Yes? Good morning. Is Mr. Cougar in? I'm Mr. Brennan from the Orphan's Home. Oh, uh, no, Mr. Cougar's not home, Mr. Brennan, but won't you come in? Oh, thank you. You know, it's fantastic that you should live in this house. My wife and I just... Oh, here comes George now. My, how he's rushing. Oh, I thought I'd never make it. Uh, Mr. Brennan? Cougat, how do you do? Uh, won't you come in? Uh, did Mr. Atterbury call you, dear? No, why should Mr. Atterbury call me dear? I mean... <laughs> no. Oh, uh, yeah, sit down, Mr. Brennan. How's the baby, darling? Oh, do you have a baby? No. Yes. Oh, uh, you mean the one we just had last night? You uh, just had it last night? Yes. It's four months old. <laughs> She's always joking. Great kitty, Liz. Uh, I'll get you a glass of water, Mr. Brennan. Oh, no, no, don't bother. I'd like to see your child. No, it's no bother. Uh, come along, Liz. Help me get the water. You can carry a glass of water. Come on. Yeah, but really, I don't want any water. What's the matter? Have you gone crazy? Listen, Brennan wants a family man for that job, and Atterbury insisted we tell him that baby is ours. Oh, great. Well, let's show it to him. Where is the baby? I gave him back to his mother. Oh, well, we'll run next door and get him. I'll, I'll tell Brennan you have to dress him or something. And hurry up. All right. I'll take the shortcut through the backyard. Oh! Oh, I forgot that low branch. Oh, oh I thought that puddle dried up. Uh. Yeah? Look, do me a big favor, will you? Lend me Stevie again just for a minute. I don't have time to explain. Oh, I, uh, all right. Wait, he's right here. Say, you didn't see my husband, did you? No, I wouldn't know him. Funny, I thought I saw Mr. Brennan walking up the street before. Brennan? From the orphan's home? Yes, how did you know? Well, I'll tell you later. Goodbye. Uh, look out for that nail on the door. It'll catch your dress. I missed it. i got to watch for that puddle. There, best it. <laughs> oh, right in the eye. Oh. oh, here comes Liz with the baby now. Here he is. Liz, what happened to you? You're sopping wet. The baby. And you've got a black eye and a bad bump on your head Well, he fights when I try to dress him Well, he must be a strong little rascal uh, Let me see him George, did you know Mr. Brennan is the man who moved next door yesterday? What? I was going to save it for a surprise That's a laugh, isn't it? Ha ha uh, Let me see the baby Who does he look like? You'd die if I told you Here he is Why, this is amazing this child looks very much like my little boy. Oh, he does? Yes. Now, wait here. I'm going home and get my little Stevie so we can compare the two. And when I hold them up together, you'll think it's impossible. I know it's impossible. <laughs> I'll be right back with you. Now what? Get that kid back before he gets there. Oh, why didn't I put on my track shoes this morning? Come on, fellow traveler. Watch out for that branch. There. Jump the puddle. There. 
Here's the baby. Thanks. Seen your husband yet? No. Good. Goodbye. Uh, look out for that nail. Oh! Oh, why doesn't she get that darn nail fixed if she knows it's there? Oh, that awful puddle. Did you get there in time? Yes Here he comes now Where's the baby? Why didn't you bring him? Yeah, why didn't you bring him? (laughs) You know, when I got home and took a good look at him, I could see They don't look alike at all I was almost asleep. Where have you been? Next door. I was telling Mr. Brennan how wonderful you are, and he's going to give you that job as trustee. Oh, that's great. Just uh, just one thing, though. I had to promise to do them a favor. Yeah? What kind of a favor? <laughs> oh, no. Not tonight. No, not tonight, George. For the whole weekend. Good night, honey. Oh. My Favorite Husband has been presented through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll be with me next week as I uncover more gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.